0: more info now.
1: Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
0: A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
1: Wait! Did we just invent California?
2: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VizicCalifornia.com. Right here, right now, find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
3: I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. When you think of the rhythm section of the Beatles, Paul McCartney on bass guitar and Ringo Starr on drums immediately come to mind. But my guest today has played with Paul McCartney longer than Ringo Starr. He's been a member of Paul's band for two decades. He's also played with Eric Clapton, Chris Isaac, KD Lang, Sting, Mylene Farmer, Steve Winwood. The list goes on and on. I'm talking, of course, about the illustrious drummer, Abe Laboriel Jr. This is Abe on Drums with Paul McCartney, performing back in the USSR live in New York City. Musical talent of this caliber runs deep in the Laboriel family. His father, Mexican bass guitarist, Abraham Laboriel, and his uncle, Mexican rocker, Johnny Laboriel, were both accomplished musicians in their own right, Abe, a Berkeley School of Music-trained musician, has a particular view
4: of his role in a band. To me, the drummer is in service of the music, number one. Number two, to lead, to drive the bus, if you will, to tell people where to go, pay attention to everything. I see my job as listener first, then I have to do But first, I have to listen, you know, to really hear what's going on. And I can hear when someone's maybe falling behind or a little bit lost or forgotten something. And so I have to be paying attention to all of that. And then on top of that, like for me, Keith Moon was like a lead drummer, you know, like Pete Townsend held the rhythm together while Keith play lead guitar on the drums. It's funny. It's something my dad and I would always speak of. My dad is a great musician. You know, like he, when he plays live, he believes that half the audience is deaf and the other half is blind. And so you have to be able to reach all of them, you know? So it, you can't, for me, I just can't sit still and pretend like I'm not in it with my entire soul. You know, I have to try and reach every single person out there. You grew up in L.A.? Yeah. Born in Boston. Born in Boston, and your family moved to L.A. when you were how old? When I was five, with a short stint in uh, Cleveland. What'd your dad do? Well, my dad, being a musician, he went to Berklee College of Music, graduated from there, and my mom was going to medical school at BU when they met. And uh, when she graduated, she had an internship in Cleveland, and my dad put his career on pause for the two years that we were there. And he raised me, you know, during that time. She's a time. doctor. Your mom's a doctor. Yeah, yeah, she's a doctor who... Her cur- mother's
3: a doctor and she married a musician? <laughs> yeah, imagine Where did her that. Smarts go? Where did her smarts go when it came time to get married?
4: <laughs> well, I have no... No, and honestly, the, the two of them complement each other so beautifully. They're still together, just had their 50th year anniversary. And um, my mom, she's a... a A behavioral specialist now, a pediatric behavioral specialist that deals with kids who have fetal alcohol syndrome and helps Mm. diagnose and treat all that kind of stuff. But she was a classically trained opera singer as a kid, you know, in high school and in college and plays guitar and uh, used to lead folk worship at the local Catholic Church. That's where my dad first saw her and fell in love. Was this beautiful woman playing guitar, and was like, "I need wow. to, I need to meet her." Right. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, it's an interesting mix of uh, cultures there. Then
3: she said, "I'm going to medical school," and he was like, "I think I love you."
4: Yeah. Exactly.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> See, he's the smart man. <laughs> he's a genius. He's a genius.
3: So you go to L.A. when you're five. Yeah. And w- w- what part of town were you living in?
4: Uh, for a brief period of time in Santa Monica, and then when they finally bought a home, it was deep in the valley and. Woodland Hills. Oh. oh, no, you're kidding. Where? Yeah. Uh, off of uh, a street called Winnetka. So like. No. Right? Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. That's where I lived for 20 years. No
3: way. Are you serious? I mean, I'm, a, I'm I'm a good deal older than you. But I mean, I said everything I hated about the valley, I grew to love.
4: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, Which it's a, a lack
3: of pretension. Everybody's just
4: normal. Exactly. Normal. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's it is a it's a great normalizer, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, the houses are all pretty cookie cutter, you know. Maybe someone yeah. has a double lot. Here it's all about and there. kids
3: and schools and soccer teams and baseball. Team. Yeah. Now, when you you know you graduate high school, you pick up the first instrument you play is the drums.
4: Yeah, yeah, that was the thing that came naturally. Pots and pans at the age of four. Rhythm. You know, just headphones on, rocking out to things. I I would dabble. You know, they my parents encouraged like piano lessons. I didn't really like them saxophone lessons wasn't for me. I was always fascinated with guitar and bass, but was also intimidated because my dad is such an amazing, prolific musician, so I always gravitated towards the thing that I could jam with him. He's a bass player, your dad? Yeah, yeah.
3: Interesting, the, the
4: path your career went on. Yeah, you know, I've, I've known a few. <laughs> for some reason, bass players like me. <laughs> bass players want to bond with you. Yeah. <laughs> so you decide
3: you don't, you, you don't want to play guitar, or you don't think that's right for you, and you're drumming. And how does that happen? Is your dad the one encouraging you? Who, or is it you, are you completely
4: self-propelled? It's It was a combination. So it would be that I innately just understood music that way. You know, would sing songs, would play little things, pick up things around the house. Music was always playing in our home. You know, we'd be listening to the Bulgarian Women's Choir and then Peter, Paul, and Mary. And then Everything. Earth, Wind, and Fire. And just like, no. you, you name it, it was always in rotation. He loved music. They loved they music. They loved music, yeah. You know, we'd be listening to pa- Pavarotti and, you know, whatever. You name it, it was on in our home. My mom loves to tell a story of going to, to see the Bill Evans trio when I, when, when I was still in her belly. And every time the music would start, I'd start kicking and was like excited and the music would stop and then I'd calm down. Take so, a nap. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so take five. Yeah, so it's just always around, you know, always a part of wow. my life. So, yeah, you know, I think for me, you know, they finally got me a drum kit when I was five years old. And um, it was a gift actually from a percussionist named Jamie Haddad who plays with Paul Simon now. But yeah, he put together a little baby kit for me and I'd sit down and start to play a little something then my dad would show me something and then he'd pick up a bass or a guitar and we'd jam. And that was was me growing up for at least five years just kind of every other day we'd get together and just hang out together and, and play music for an hour or so. So, yeah, so very encouraging. And when I was 10, I finally said, you know what? I think I really want to do this professionally. And so my dad got me then official lessons at that point. And who was the teacher and what were they like? So my my first teacher was, unbelievably, uh, this drummer named Alex Acuna, who famously played drums in The Weather Report and, uh, you know, played on you know, percussion on Blondie records and every, you know, I don't know, like all kinds of stuff. He's a world-renowned percussionist and drummer. And yeah, so he was my first teacher. And what was great is that he he wasn't regimented in the way that, you know, here are the dots and pay attention to just this. He would have the dialogue with me of, of playing music together and, encouraging me to explore things. So it was always more of an intuitive style of learning rather than a very stricted, you know, restrictive thing. That didn't work for me, trying to have that kind of structure. Mm-hmm. I needed to be able to like, oh, I, 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 I hear this thought, or I feel this rhythm and I wanna try that. And luckily I was surrounded with people who encouraged that. Now most people when they're most musicians I've spoken to talk about like the, the,
3: the early days being the cover days mm-hmm. you're doing covers before you get into songwriting and you're writing your own songs you're doing covers of other people's music What was music you're ten years old you think you want to do this professionally? What's the music that's in your head that's on the radio or mm. in your Sony Walkman? I don't know what technology was available when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. What, but I'm assuming Walkman was coming along in the uh, in the 80s, just yeah. starting to happen.
4: My, you know, my So, dad, what were you, who who were, you, who were you Who were you loving? What music was were you did you love? The big one for me at that point was Genesis and, and no. Phil Collins. Yeah, that no, was the, I mean, you know, I always listened to a lot of Beatles, listened to you know Led Zeppelin, all this stuff police but Phil, your Collins, father's from where? Uh, he's from Mexico City. Uh, so your, your father's Mexican. Yeah, born and raised. And your mother's from where? Uh, from Boston. She's Irish Portuguese.
1: She's, <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> She's Irish Portuguese. Irish Portuguese, and my dad You're is an a black Irish Mexican Portuguese Mexican, and oh, he's a black yeah. Mexican. Yeah. Was there black music he was craving? Was he into Earth, Wind, and
4: Fire? And uh, well, he in- Motown. In- and- Interestingly, he was a staff producer when he was like 13 years old at Capitol Records, Mexico. So they would send... Beatles records and other artists that were on Capitol down to Mexico, he would study those and then they would reenact or do cover versions. And he was in bands the like the Mexican that. flavor to it, yeah, though. exactly. So that's where he kind of got his passion for it. Um, you know, my grand she loves you, CCC, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hold your, your manos, I want to hold two manos, two manos, I see. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you know, my my grandfather was uh was also a singer, songwriter, actor there. So he was kind of the equivalent of like Paul Robeson or something in in hmm. that in that time. Distinguished. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, v- very deep basso profundo voice mm-hmm. and uh, and and beautiful songs. So my my dad, his brother was like An Elvis equivalent there, you know, Johnny Laboriel. And uh, yeah, so the, they, they were an artist's family growing up in Mexico. So he brought that energy and this love of all styles of music. But yeah, in particular rock and roll, he loved, he loves good old fashioned garage rock. So Phil Collins, and Journey are front and center for you.
3: Was it because Collins was one of the few dr- percussionist frontmen? Yeah,
4: well, it's also one of the first shows that I saw that wasn't my dad's bands. So I, <laughs> I got to see the, I think it was the Mama Tour was my one of my first big shows. You know, the laser lights and the, the, the uh-huh. most amazing visuals. And that was my first experience of an arena concert. You know, everything else up till then had been clubs or theaters, seeing my dad play with different people like, you know, Al Jarreau or musicians like Larry Carlton and, and uh, these jazz kind of scenarios. But then to see a big rock concert, my whole life changed to see that. So I, w- I realized I wanted to do that. So I started studying as much of that as I could. Years ago, when we did the show Thirty Rock, my character—someone was talking about Phil Collins, and
3: they said, "Are you a Phil Collins fan?" And I looked her in the eye with—I think it was a woman—I was trying to seduce on the show. <laughs> yeah. and I took a long pause and I said, "I have two ears and a heart, don't I?" <laughs> <laughs>
4: Oh, that's great. And I love Phil. I yeah. love Phil.
3: Because he knew, you I know, mean, I met him and Townsend, who I worship. him, and I was a raging, raging. I mean, nobody smoked more weed. <laughs> and I couldn't afford, I always say the same line, I couldn't afford headphones when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I didn't have the money. So I had these 2 AR speakers that I bought from my friend. My friend yeah. needed money. He was broke. He was desperate to buy, like, a guitar or something. He was into music. And I said, he said, I'll sell you my speakers for, like, 200 bucks and they were worth far more than that. I got these big acoustic research speakers. Mm. And I'd lay down with them next to my head.
4: Oh, beautiful. And I'd lay
3: on the floor. And I'd smoke a huge joint out the window. Mm-hmm. And I'd lay on the floor and listen to Quadrophenia and oh. all that other stuff. And, uh, and, and when I saw, I want to mention this aspect of it to you, because you go from rooms or clubs or shows you do, which I want to get to your earliest career. When you start to play Mm -hmm. in front of an audience, what does that look like? What are your first audiences where...
4: Uh, the first few places there's this great local club that I grew up at basically watching my dad play called the Baked Potato and um, you know I know the Baked (laughs) Potato. Yeah famously they serve the world's (laughs) largest most delicious baked potatoes (laughs) but what's great is that it's a family place so even though it's jazz music and you know yeah at the time people smoking like crazy and drinking like crazy but kids were allowed you know so I was able to go watch my Dad play and all the bands there, and those were some of the few first times I would play live. Were there, Um, and so then to go from that to then going to college, I also went to Berklee College of Music in Boston and started playing in bands around there in clubs. You know, small, you know, two hundred to five hundred. But then I graduated, go back to L.A., and then I get this gig with Steve Vai, who's this guitar legend, Um, and that's the first kind of real professional gig that I got, and that's a theater tour of, you know, 2,000 to 3,000 seaters. Where? Where'd you go? That was all over the states, so really, every You're traveling. yeah, You're on tour, yeah, on tour. How old were you? I was 21 when I when I started. So you weren't doing a kid, that. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. my first. You weren't first Frampton, kid. no, no.
3: Yeah, Frampton told us when he was a, he was a child. He's out there. He's in a car. Oh with with Ronnie Wood. Yo, wow. And Ronnie Wood wanted him to come and play something with him or whatever, and they heard he was this phenom, right? And he said he's in the rooms with these guys, and they're all partying their asses off, and he's like 16 or 15 years old.
4: Wow. But that's
3: not your story, meaning you were playing in local
4: places. It could have been. My parents were very wise, though, and they advised me in saying, look, you are amazing now, but you don't. L.A. is a small town. It's one of the largest small towns out there. And yeah. you don't want to be known as the guy who's pretty good for his age. You want right. to wait until you really have your sense of self. So they encouraged me. And also one of my other mentors was Jeff Mercaro, uh, the drummer for Toto, who sadly is no longer with us. But you, don't, he, you don't want to go right from high school to the NBA. Yeah, basically, which is what yeah. he did. He played yeah. in Sonny and Cher when he was 15. And then he was in Steely Dan and then did all this kind of stuff. Mm. And he, he just, he pulled me aside. He said, the one thing I regret is that I didn't take time to go to college and really, really figure out who I am. So he gave me a drum kit as a gift, one of his personal ones and sent me off to college uh, with, you know, saying, come on, I want you to do this. So I went to Berkeley in Boston. You went to Berkeley? Yeah. So I went right <laughs> back to Boston, fell in love with How that city. How long were you there? I was there. I did the full four. Uh, you you know? did the full
3: four. So for the kid from L.A. going back east, what was that like? Oh. Well, the
4: music no, my, scene. The music scene was amazing. Although really? the kid from L.A., one of my favorite stories is in the middle of winter seeing the sun come out for the first time in about three months. And I put on shorts and a T-shirt and went outside, <laughs> not realizing it your was surfboard. 15 degrees outside, you know. so. Yeah. Totally. lessons like that but i i loved it to so the late 80s by now right late 80s yeah, early yeah. 90s so yeah 89 through 93 I was there and what me and what music is in your head then uh it starts to shift from this very frantic jazz and fusion jazz to to much more rock and roll and I'm falling in love with the whole grunge movement Soundgarden, and nine nine inch nails and pearl jam and and that's what you think you should be playing yeah so that's because what I this, start... this is in your head you're going this is what I want to play exactly it, it really speaks to me on on all the levels um you know just the the intensity of the riffs and and the intensity of the dynamics musically and and the fact that it wasn't you know about just sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was, yeah. there was some thoughtful lyrics and thoughtful emotions behind you it. You actually
3: make use of your Berkeley School <laughs> of Music Education. <laughs>
4: exactly. There was yeah. some
3: musicianship required. Yeah, yeah, no, right. that,
4: and that, that, that exactly. Uh, and, and what was great is that the club scene there, it was one of those things where you would play a show and be experimental. And I would honestly have these conversations where friends would say, wow, man, that really sucked we'll see you next week. You know, wow. you know, like so people would come back and support each other and and be into the journey of trying stuff. And I could not have done that if I had started right away in LA.
3: So when you're there, what does a school, you're a famous rock and roll drummer. <laughs> what does Berkeley have
4: to offer? What do they teach you? What it does is it It gave me a place to grow. It gave me fertile ground. It gave me, it's not so much specifically what the teachers had, but what the other students that were there had. So we were learning from each other. You know, I, I, again, go hang out with another drummer, go jam with a guitar player, do all this stuff. And you realize that you're just in this incredibly fertile area where you can be as creative as you feel and, and try things and, and suddenly discover new sounds and, and, Uh, you know play with different combinations of musicians and instruments and then yes obviously there's structure there but again the structure like even for me it was too restrictive to be just a drum student there so I Mm -hmm. ended up switching my major to music synthesis and production Mm -hmm. because I Mm -hmm. figured if I'm going to learn something that's outside of my wheelhouse it should be something applicable to other things.
3: Is drumming hard? Is it trouble? You think drumming's hard for people
4: to learn? Well, the elements of it, it and and depends on your. In your... my soul, I'm a drummer. Cool, because
3: I can't stop banging on things. Oh, I'm always banging. Yeah. I'm always banging out the rhythm. Is it hard to learn? It is hard. Isn't well, it?
4: It, there again, it, it's it's like anything that you start out, at, you you have to suck. You know, dare <laughs> dare to suck is is, is basically the right. name of it. So, the coordination of getting everything to line up is one oh. element, and then obviously keep the tempo is the next element and then making not only both of those things then they have to feel good you have to make people dance you have to make them want to, to be involved the yeah and then the fills that's a whole other thing to not speed up or slow down or to be consistent with the sound and so after a while though these these are the things you tweak over time so it's the 10,000 hours thing it's all of that you know like yeah. you, ha- you have to yeah dare to suck
3: Musician Abe Laboriel Jr. If you love conversations with legendary drummers, be sure to check out my talk with Mick Fleetwood. What did you think of when you first came across the TikTok phenomenon?
0: Right, it happened in the most charming way. I said, "Well, I can't get on a skateboard, so I I hung myself off the back of a of a golf cart." And the next thing I know, we're all on halftime sports programs and God knows what else. Oh my God. His whole life has has changed. And I said, let me tell you, Nathan, Fleetwood Mac owes you.
3: (laughs) Hear the rest of my conversation with Mick Fleetwood at heresthething.org. After the break, Abe Laboriel Jr. tells us about the fateful day when he was invited to play with Sir Paul.
6: It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind-down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you, something to wear that
1: Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
3: I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My guest today is drummer Abe Laboriel, Jr., This is Abe showcasing his talents with French-Canadian singer-songwriter Mylène Farmer on her 1996 tour. While it may seem like Laboriel is completely at home on every stage he walks on, there was a growing period between that first big break to being the drummer everyone has on speed dial. Laboriel shared with us how he came into his own alongside another
4: major star. I got a a chance to audition for Seal, and ended up doing his uh, first big U.S. tour. That um, and through that, you know, he was. Very, How does he find you? Uh, he uh, through uh, this amazing uh, band called Eleven. This producer, engineer, guitar player, singer, songwriter named Alan Johannes, and his now sadly departed wife um, Natasha schneider and they were fans of mine and friends with seal and he was looking for a drummer and they recommended me to him and uh yeah, he called me out of the blue one day and I couldn't believe that it was really him on the other end of the phone. <laughs> and, he, you know, you know, hey man, you know, it's Seal. It's like, uh, you mean the guy whose record I like? And, <laughs> you know, so yeah, he, he invited me to come audition. And, um, and where I, do you do that? Uh, do you actually in this, uh, in the building that I'm in right now, Center Staging. Yeah, so it's, cool. it's, yeah, this place that has been a very important part of my life for a long time. So then I toured with him for about four or five months, and uh, it was great to, to be a part of, that's when Kiss from a Rose came out, and sure. Prayer for the Dying, and all these great songs, and uh, to be a part of that journey, to see him transition from, again, theaters to then arenas. And uh, and then I, I took a step back from that, ended up going, I, I worked with this French artist, uh, a woman named Mylène Farmer, That's the first time I ever really played these uh, enormous, you know, 20,000, 30,000 seat arenas and and stadiums. And which was good for me because that would have been overwhelming, I think, with music that was dear to my soul and emotion. I think it would have been overwhelming. It was easier to do that with music that I enjoyed, but wasn't so entrenched in me. Uh, You know, like it would have been hard to start with Paul. Or to start with Sting, you know, yeah. but it was easier to do this and like get used to, oh, the adrenaline rush and whoa, okay, yeah. how, do I, how do I adjust myself to, to the, the first time you hear 20,000 people yeah. scream at the top of their lungs is really overwhelming. And haven't even played one note haven't yet. Haven't done one thing yet.
3: Then after you finish with Seal mm-hmm. and you go off and you take a little uh, little sojourn with Milan Farmer, yes.
4: what year is that? Uh, so that's like 96. And then because of that, then the French equivalent of Elvis, uh, Johnny Halliday, he, yeah. w- he saw us play and, and was like, wait, I want that drummer. So he, he hired me. So I, I ended up spending like three or four years going back and forth between Milan and Johnny, just l- working in France, touring every little hamlet. Did you, you know. like living overseas? It was lovely. I mean, at the time it was a little bit difficult, culture shock, and obviously we didn't have the tools then that we have now, internet and uh, right. you know guides to be able to know what the street is yeah. that I'm on right now. You made and, a sacrifice. Yes, yeah, yeah. so you, you, I got lost a lot and, and ate some weird things that I thought, oh, I think <laughs> I think that's a steak. Oh, that's brains. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so things like that. That's goat. You, okay. Yeah, you. you you discover uh, to ask more questions. Yes. And <laughs> did that end because you wanted to come home? That was the goal. It, the it, I didn't. It wasn't. I, I always just kind of let I, I trust things to happen. So huh? I ended up doing some recording with, uh, with Katie Lang, who I just adore. <laughs> I love and her. Uh, she's just, just one of the best people and then, And you wrote music with her. Yeah, so we did this record, and that's what made me like stop doing the French thing for a minute and just to like like because uh, I had written some songs with her for, for her record Invincible Summer.
3: Now, let me ask you how that happens, meaning you've worked with some of the most famous people in history.
4: Yeah. Where
3: does the opportunity come? Who opens the door for you to say, KD, I got to show you a couple songs I've written. Like,
4: when do you know that's cool to to pitch? Well, it it was more of a, it started as a group effort, me and and the bass player named David Pilch. He had been writing a few things and I was always dabbling. Uh, And like I say, I'm a frustrated guitar player and... On all the gigs that I've been on, I always end up singing backgrounds as well, so I do have a, an understanding of melody, and so yeah. So I started messing around, and I had a few ideas. I I played. I would make my own demos and send them to her, and then she started writing lyrics to them, and and really fell in love with with a few of my ideas. So yeah, it it just happened very organically. I'm not very good at asserting like okay, I'm going to I'm going to sell the world on what I do. It's mm-hmm. more of the natural these little things pop up and opportunities pop up and surprisingly they lead to the next. You played with
3: KD for how
4: long? I did 2 Full tours with her, but it basically from kind of 97 till about 2001, I toured with her. And then you're getting close to and then, that's what basically I was Live on Aid. tour with her when 9 11 happened. Um, we were in the middle of Denver about to play a show, and uh, and yeah, obviously the world changed, everything uh-huh. changed. We all went home trying to figure things out. Home for you was LA at that point, yeah, home was LA. Yeah. Just before then, I had started. I made a record with Paul that hadn't quite come out yet. Uh, we uh-huh. in the early 2001, we recorded Driving Rain, uh-huh. and that's the first time that I shook his hand and knew I had made a. a and life. he found you how? Uh, this wonderful producer named David Kahn, who has produced everybody from Tony Bennett to Fishbone to uh-huh. the Bangles to you know, like you name it, he's produced, uh-huh. and um. Yeah, it's amazing. Again, that was another phone call I'll never forget where, you know, he, uh, we had never worked together before, but mm. he knew me by reputation and um, and asked me if I was available for two weeks to, to make a record with Paul McCartney. So, uh, you know, after I dropped the phone and picked it back up yeah. and said, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No problem. And yeah, so I showed up in the studio, and it, and that's really another beautiful thing is that the way Paul and I met, it wasn't an audition, mm-hmm. it wasn't me trying to emulate somebody else. You're two musicians. It was two musicians getting to know each other as mm-hmm. peers, if anyone mm-hmm. could even you know deign to call themselves a peer. But I was doing my job. I was doing what yep. I do, and and we You wanted on. what you had. Yeah, and we got on like a house on fire. You know, really, right. it was. Uh, a lot of laughter, a lot of, uh, you know, his ability to to write music e- even on the spot. You know, he would he would come in with the demo and go, oh, wait, oh, I forgot to write the bridge on that. Hold on. I'll be right back. And, you know, run away for five minutes and come back. Hit OK, OK, yeah. I got it. All right. Let's let. And then we'd record it
3: to segue to that for a moment you know one thing you see when you watch Get Back as I've said ad infinitum to my friends is that how hard working they were oh yes you know they're going to play this effing song 40 times mm-hmm. if they have to play it 40 times and they dick around and they play with the words and they oh, say yeah. you know whatever but they're going to get this thing and they're very hard working yes and I'm wondering in a world where you come on stage and like we said they start screaming at the top of your lungs and you haven't even played one note I mean mm-hmm. this is the most famous guy in the world oh yes yeah. In the world. Yeah. And everywhere you go, people just can't—you know—they love him and love him and love him. But I wondered, when the show's over, does he come backstage so and say, "Oh, it really sucked in that one." Does he? Does he still have that hard-working
4: drive? <laughs> no, no. What's really great is—and this is true for all of us in the band—is we yeah. have we laugh really hard and love every mistake that we make. We <laughs> we embrace them wholeheartedly. <laughs> when a show is perfect, it's kind of boring, you know. Uh, it's not—you don't have that thing to pin your hat on you know uh to be able to say oh wait yeah remember when yeah. when i dropped my stick you know and <laughs> and it becomes a whole thing uh so honestly it's not it's never that that you know beating yourself up it, it's always this energy of ha, ha ha boy did we mess that one up and and often you know when that has happened we'll even stop and restart a song it's like wow no sorry guys we we completely screwed that up we're, we're gonna try that again amazing and, and, but amazing. and the audience loves that though because then that's an event you were there remember i was there that night that that happened yeah that he forgot
3: the lyrics to yesterday.
4: Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it really. it's a great <laughs> it's thing funny. when that happens. Perfection is boring. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. when you're with him and with that band, I should say, mm.
3: you go off and perform with other people as well. Some other yeah. legends of music. I mean, you're off with Sting. You're off with Stevie Winwood. Yeah, uh, who I worship. Winwood. Oh. You played with Winwood and Clapton.
4: correct? Yeah. yeah, I did. I did that tour, the Blind Faith repertoire, which was just. Right. I mean, that that oh music is amazing. Oh yeah, that's a big part of my
3: laying on the floor with the A and R speakers next mm. to my head time of my life but so you're touring with them and you're working with them is in the seams of other tours like yeah or, or, or literally mccartney saying we can't go to rio in yeah. may <laughs> right because abe's
4: <laughs> off with sting you gotta wait for abe to finish with sting it's happened a, it's happened a few times it, it sadly has happened a few times or, you're, or like you know there was a grammy performance i couldn't do uh because Ooh. i was in japan with clapton and, you know, so my sub, Dave Grohl, did a very nice job. No! You know, yeah. <laughs> so stuff, stuff like that has happened. But, yeah, now, When it's you're with very these rare. different people, do they direct you?
3: Is somebody directing you? Or do they hire you because you know what to do and they don't have to say anything? It's... Does anybody ever come up to you and offer you some opinions
4: it's it, it's funny all of those guys and i've been lucky that it's it's never been like a musical director uh scenario I mean, the, you know where where somebody has the final word it's they they came up in bands and that's how they still treat the interaction they want people who have their own personality who are going to be themselves but at the same token respect the music. That's always been my number one rule, you know. I'm not going to sit there and 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 try and play heavy metal drums on a on a Clapton tune. So, you know, so it's about knowing the music. You know and, what to do. Yeah, you know, and, and again, it's not classical music. My hands aren't tied to play exactly a part. It's living and breathing and something that we can can all agree you know, you adjust to to fit the audience. you adjust to fit the setting and also who else is in who else is in the band and to make room for people. Like you know, I've played with Sting when there's been an upright bass player and three horn players and five background vocalists and organs and all this stuff. And I would have to play a little bit more restrained. And then I've played with him where it's been stripped down two guitar players, bass and drums and there's much more room to pivot and and to have fun you know do things that might throw an entire orchestra off but if it's just four people we know where each other are are supposed to be and how to readjust every scenario is different i think of people who their musical styles are i mean there's some
3: overlap but they seem so different And I think about people who, yes, they have music in their repertoire that you can play loud, you know, stadium rock, but I wonder what quotient, what amount of their catalog can be played in a stadium. A lot of Sting's music seems better played in like an under 10,000 seat space. Yeah, I agree. It seems like it's a kiss more intimate. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Uh, Clapton seems like even though you can rip it on, uh, uh, you can play the opening licks of Lele and everybody knows exactly where we're going, Mm -hmm. not everybody is the same. Yeah. You can play Helter Skelter you can play revolution you can play back in the ussr right.
4: you can rip it i mean yeah. you can rip it yeah and then it can get really intimate absolutely it's amazing the the dynamic that especially that he can command and again that we can do that in a stadium is crazy yeah you know you, people get quiet yep they do people they want to hear attention. him absolutely every every word drummer abe laborel jr
3: If you're enjoying this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Tell a friend and be sure to follow us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we return, Abe Laboriel Jr. shares some anecdotes about some of the biggest rock stars he's worked with.
6: It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like mother's day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for mother's day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear,
0: more info now.
3: I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Drummer Abe Laboriel Jr. has shared the stage with some of the most accomplished rock stars in history. This is Layla from Eric Clapton, live at Budokan with Abe Laboriel Jr. on drums. I wanted to know just a few of his favorite memories of playing with these great artists.
4: With KD, I have to say every every single night, I have never seen someone take such command and control of an entire room. The room was as much a part of her voice as she was. Mm. So she could she could use the mic technique and and just fill the room almost like an opera singer, you know, almost not needing the microphone in front of her to fill that room. Yeah. And just beautiful emotion and intensity and again the same thing the dynamic of being able to whisper a song and then hit the high notes on constant craving or crying you know her version of crying is still it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. What about Clapton? I mean
3: because to me I wrote in my memoir that all those jokes from my generation where people said clapton was god and mine when i grew up as a kid clapton was god
4: yeah i mean again what a tone that really does come from his hands you know it doesn't Man. matter what guitar he picks up there's his tone his fingerprint his his energy you know there would be nights where between him and doyle Bramell, who was playing guitar uh, also in the band and the two of them would trade solos back and forth Man. And I was in heaven because, you know, for me as a drummer, I'm not so much focused on what I'm playing. I'm focused on what they're doing and I'm listening to them. Like I get to be the ultimate audience and just to sit there and to listen to these incredible musicians play and and you know they they end up orbiting so far and my job is just to make sure that we still know where they're tethered to that that we're not all going so far that we lose the audience eric would just have these nights where he was on fire and would not want to stop playing and and those were beautiful moments winwood seems like such a gentle soul i've never met him was he like that in
3: person he's like a very very deep
4: yeah, quiet guy. Very very or is sweet. Was he like telling jokes? All of a well, it's both, right? Like honestly, he's both. Like one of my favorite moments in that band was playing Can't Find My Way Home. That is one of the best songs, you know. Uh and it just had this beautiful dynamic to it and the way they would sing harmony on that together, you know, both both Steve and and Eric. And, and it's just lovely, man. Um yeah, he was a fun hang on the road too. Uh you know, the after show of just having a little glass of wine and, and yeah. you know. I wish I could have met him too because I just love his music. Yeah, you know? no, he's Sting
3: beautiful. I've met. Yeah. And Sting's somebody who, I saw him the other day in New York. I just bumped into him and, and he was, he's always, his wife is always so nice to me. Oh, true. I had a quick lovely. hello with them on the uh, on the street uh, uptown. Great. And, uh, and he's somebody who, you know, because he has that movie star glow to him. Absolutely. He's got that edge and right when you think you don't like him because he's so mm. handsome, He's so rich and talented. (laughs) Then he sings a song that breaks your heart. Yes. yeah. He sings a song that breaks your heart. And you think, the guy really is pretty damn
4: good. He's the real deal. And again, you know, one of the loveliest. The first time I... was hired, you know, because basically he hired me without us ever having played together. It was, uh, again, through word of mouth and, you know, that he had this tour that he had to finish up and promote. And so he, again, through reputation and Hired me for a few months and on our first day of saying hello, it was the biggest bear hug I've ever received. And, you know, welcome to the family, you know, so it's he's that kind of guy, just a real tender spirit. And uh you know, yes, there 's the trappings of of rock and roll and villas and whatnot, but' yeah. at, his, at his core, royalty, he, yeah, but he 's a guy who shows up with his bag and his base on his back and is ready ready at, for the lobby call fifteen minutes before departure, you know I love like that. yeah, so that's that 's the kind of guy he is, yeah, and
3: you know, when I saw you the first time, i couldn 't take my eyes off you, oh man so you five guys, great night, great show, great fun. But you fit into a category of you can tell there's no place else you'd rather be. You have such a contagious enthusiasm. There's a smile on your face. Not all the time. Yeah. You're getting down and you're digging down oh, for something gotta, yeah. and you're playing. But you seem so happy. Yeah. You seem so filled with joy when you're up there playing music. I mean, And what's interesting is you've drummed for him longer than Ringo Starr drummed
4: with him. Can you believe it?
3: What are you guys doing now? The COVID seems to be dissipating a little bit. Are you guys, are you going to go on tour with somebody?
4: I'm hoping so. There's still, you know, things in the works, and I'm hoping that soon we'll be able to do some shows. You know, like the the last time we played with Paul was 2019, um, mm-hmm. the end of 2019. So I'm which show? What was the last it show? It was uh, Dodger Stadium in at the end of July, and it was a it was an amazing show. Like, thank yeah. God, it was a wonderful show. Uh, but we were meant to go do 2020, you know, to play a European tour and to play Glastonbury and mm-hmm. all of these exciting well, things, and uh, and yeah, to have the have, <laughs> he has a standing the world... invitation. Yeah, I think so. So I'm hoping yeah. I'm hoping that we might be able to, to to redo some of that this year. Well, listen, I have a. A real Jones for drummers,
3: because if I played popular music, I'd want to play the drums. And you're one of the greatest of all time, my friend. You are so great. I can't wait to see you up there again, man. No, thank you. Thank you so much, man. My thanks to musician Abe Laboriel Jr. I'll leave you with Abe performing with Sting on Message in a Bottle in Montreux. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's The Thing is brought to you by iHeartRadio.
0: Info now.
1: Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
0: A redwood
2: forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
1: Wait! Did we just invent California?
2: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee.